Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this show, we aim to interview leaders from a range of performance disciplines within the tactical performance space to help you improve performance at the individual and organizational level. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show, guys. You'll notice we don't run any ads here, but we do ask for you to pay a simple and small fee. And that fee is this. If you find value in the show, I'm pretty confident in the arcs we have some incredible guests each week, then please share the show. You know, if you're chatting with friends and colleagues about education and development, please recommend us. As I said, you know, we don't run ads here and we continue to grow organically through you, the listener. So please spread the word and help us get this information out to a lot more people. Now, on this week's episode, guys, I'm really happy to sit down and chat to one of the original researchers within the tactical field and a man who's just been recognized as the 2021 Tactical Professional of the Year by the NSCA, and that is Dr. Jay Dawes. To give you some info on Jay, Jay is an Associate Professor of Applied Exercise Science in the Department of Kinesiology, Health and Recreation at Oklahoma State University. Jay has worked as a University Athletic Performance Coordinator, Strength and Performance Coach, Personal Trainer and Educator for the last 20 years. His primary research interests focus on improving the health, fitness and human performance for all tactical athletes and first responders, as well as athletes involved in high performance sport. In this episode, we talk about how he got involved in the tactical profession, setting up the OSU Tactical Fitness and Nutrition Lab, how academics can build relationships with organizations, and his research interests within the tactical profession. Good morning, Jay, and welcome to the podcast. Morning, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem, Jay. Thank you very much for uh, you know taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you're doing a lot over there at OSU, dude, so thank you very much for agreeing to sit down and chat with me, mate. Oh, no, actually, I love it, man. I've seen all the people that have got to come on the show in the past, and I'm just honestly completely flattered you even consider asking me. So this is this is great. Right. No worries, Jay. And like I said to you before, uh, you know, before we sat down for the show, you know, spoken to a lot of guys in the industry have all said very positive things about you. And I've seen for myself, I mean, um, you know, going back to, I think it was 2016, 2017, I was saying to you about the UKSA conference here over in England. And, you know, you were presenting there and I was just really blown away by your speed and agility stuff. And I took a lot of your drills away from me. I was like, right, we're going to try and implement these going forward. And I'm still using some of them as well. So definitely want to get you on and chat to you, bud. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Well, and just in full disclosure. So when I was over the last time we visited back mm-hmm. and uh, so I drank the waters there. And I haven't been sick since. So I'm just saying, I think there's something going on. <laughs> okay, okay, man. I like it. Working for the tourist board as well, dude. I like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Obviously, Jay, like I say, you know, you've been in, in the tactical field for quite a while, but for anyone who hasn't come across you and, you know, your work and that, can you just give us a little bit of a background on, you know, where you started out and where you're currently at? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, originally, I, in, in, not to go too far and too, you know, deep into this, but um, I started out, you know, very young, start uh, studying strength conditioning. So I was a uh, overweight child and uh, wanted to learn how to improve my athleticism so I could play baseball. And, uh, you know, started reading literally everything I could find at, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, and at that point, that was pre-internet and everything else, which may have been a mixed blessing at that. But, uh, you know, I'm, at that stage, the only thing that was really available resource-wise was, you know, things like muscle and fitness magazines and things like that. And so arguably, I did most everything probably not as well as I could have during that time frame. But, uh, I mean, at 13, 14 years old, you're so anabolic that even though I probably screwed up more than I got right, it kind of worked out. Um, but ended up uh, going on and playing a couple years in college at a couple small schools here in Oklahoma. And then my sophomore year, I got injured. And kind of at that point, I recognized that, you know, I think I probably enjoyed preparing for the season 
almost as much as playing and maybe even a little bit more. And uh, so at that stage, I got an offer to uh, be an assistant uh, coach for our softball team at the uh, university I was at. And uh, basically, I agreed to do it. But I said, hey, if I do that, I want to be the strength conditioning coach as well. They're like, done. So ended up doing that and, uh, you know, started out, uh, you know, I actually got my undergraduate degree in business administration of all things. Um, but, uh, you know, that was about my junior year when I kind of decided I wanted to make the switch and was already pretty far down that road. So basically what I did was took the equivalent of what would have been an exercise science minor um, in order to allow me to take all the prerequisites necessary to get into Oklahoma State University and uh, pursue a master's degree in health and human performance. Um, so uh, finished up my master's degree uh, at OSU in 2002. Um, and then the PhD took a bit longer. So I started in 2003 and finished in 2011. So I uh, had a very uh, non-traditional experience in, in that regard. But um, you know, mo most of my career, um, at least you know, the first half of it was really as a practitioner. So as a coach, uh, doing personal trainings, post-rehabilitation, uh, post uh, things of that nature. And you know, more of the second half has leaned a little bit more toward uh, the research side. But um, in full disclosure, like you know, the, the good thing for me is I, I still get to kind of keep my foot in a little bit of both worlds. Um, so while I was at my uh, previous university, uh, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, um, I was actually the athletic performance coordinator for about five years there. And so me and four to five of my graduate students would coordinate the strength conditioning programs for all of our NCAA Division II athletes there. Um, and then, like I said, you know, again, I've kind of been uh, in the, the practitioner setting to some extent throughout the entire duration of my career. Um, and so like currently, uh, I've, uh, I'm back at Oklahoma State as a uh, associate professor. So I just got tenured about a month ago. So uh, it was good to put, yeah, it's good to put that check in the box for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, here, um, even though my primary role is being a professor, we still do a lot of work with our uh, Stillwater Fire Department, Police Department, um, and do some work with our Army ROTC program. So, you know, for me, it's really good because it kind of helps keep me balanced between that research side and then the you know, practical side of things. <laughs> That's interesting, dude. I think um, chance a lot of guys who are probably like mid-30s plus, we've all had that starting background of being, you know, Muscle and Fitness or Flex Magazine and was yep. like, right, that was the holy grail for us before the internet, so stuff. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll say this, man, being mid-40s now, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely changed some strategies as far as training. But uh, yeah, like I said, I, I can't train like I used to, but we can still get things done. It's like I've told a lot of people, like, I do everything I did when I was 20, it just hurts more and takes longer to recover. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice, man. And I mean, obviously, <clears throat> you're saying from that, the academic standpoint there as well, that, you know, you did your undergrad in business administration before moving into the health and human performance side of things, your master's and then PhD. How does that really helped you, you know, that uh, the undergraduate sort of learning around business just with regards to just the wider picture? So now, you know, for the roles yeah. you're doing, seeing bigger sort of strategies going forward. Yeah, shockingly well. Um, it, it was one of those things that, you know, starting out in school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I did I did know that I probably wanted to do something in this space. I mean, as far as like with exercise and, and things of that nature. But, you know, at that stage of the game, I think just, you know, being young and not knowing all different opportunities that were available I thought well okay maybe at some point in time I'll own my own facility and, and do something of that nature um, and you know back in the late 90s you know most of the programs out there weren't really oriented toward exercise science it was more like your uh, health and physical education type programs mm -hmm. um, so you know I it was one of those things where I thought business was going to probably provide me the, the background I was looking forward to you know maybe open a facility or you know be a, a business owner or something of that nature 
And, uh, you know, by the, the time I got to my junior year, I started figuring out that, hey, there is a whole profession that allows you to do this. And, you know, this is actually a, a you know, area of study you can pursue. At the university that I was at, it wasn't really an option. Um, so that's what I kind of looked into is, you know, what were the courses that would have the biggest uh, carryover to, you know, to get to like an Oklahoma State that would have a full-on exercise science program. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as like throughout the process of my career, I think, you know, when you look at all the different things from a marketing standpoint, uh, business communications, uh, you know, even economics has had a major impact on a lot of, um, you know, our, our various processes, you know, from you know, when I did own my own business to, um, you know, working with, uh, you know, intercollegiate sports and, you know, at a university setting to, you know, even the interactions that we have with some of the people in our tactical community now. Um, so it, it really, it, it had a really big impact on uh, my understanding of some of those different processes that maybe were a little bit more diverse than somebody who had just gone through a strictly exercise science program only. So in my case, it kind of worked out. Now, I don't know that that's the, the best route for everybody, but um, it certainly has been beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think it's, a, it's an awesome route to go down, especially even in the early stages. I know now, you know, a lot of coaches once they get to the not later stages, but as they mature through their career, they start looking down that route now. And you know, like, right, how can I use this to inform my practice? Whereas I think for a lot of guys, early doors, it's just that narrow focus of in the gym sets and reps, those stuff, yeah. and just that very acute sort of side of things, rather than the bigger picture, as they say. No, absolutely, and I think you know, and that's one of the challenges I've seen. You like, I've seen a lot of good technical coaches mm-hmm. who you know had to exit the profession early because they couldn't maintain the business side of it you know and, and that's one of those things where you know i think it, it's you know you can't be an expert at everything all the time obviously so i mean i think that's you know kind of speaks to the point like you know if that's not where your area of training is it really does maybe make sense to hire a professional to help with some of those things to help you know manage that out mm-hmm. um, but yeah i think that's you know by and large the place i see people struggle the most is you know a lot of times they're, they're you know, we see a lot of folks that are pretty good at the X's and O's of strength conditioning, but, you know, trying to maintain business operations and actually, you know, put food on the table. I'm afraid that's what we see a lot of really talented people exit the field early um, because of that. Definitely, definitely. Obviously, you had a, you know, really good wealth of experience there as well from, you know, athletic side, running your own facility, and then even the, the academic side. When did the, when did the tactical door come about, you know, when did you make that move into there? Yeah, so it uh, actually came out of left field, um, no pun intended with the baseball background, but it, uh, so when I was, in, in 2007, um, I got asked to um, go to, the, to work at the National Strength Conditioning Association as the education director, and so while I was there, um, Mark Stevenson was the human performance center director, and uh, he had been working with Colorado Springs SWAT team and doing a little bit with 10th group. And he came to me one day and said, hey, you know, we, we've been doing this. And, you know, I think as a broader program, this has legs and, and something that we may want to take to the broader strength and conditioning community. And uh, so he kind of introduced that, you know, prospect to me. And, uh, you know, at that point, I'd had pretty limited experience working with um, law enforcement. I kind of grew up around it. My, my mother worked for the uh, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation um, as, you know, uh, you know, administrative assistant, things like that. And, you know, for the uh, local courthouse where where I grew up but so I, I'd always kind of been around it but not really um, engrossed in it and you know through that process of starting to develop that program that's where I just kind of fell in love with it um, because it you know I, I think the individuals in that space there's some very unique challenges um, and if you look at you know we're, we're asking people to do high level um, 
you know, activities that are incredibly physically demanding at times. But on the flip side of that, you know, a lot of the jobs for the most part are sedentary in nature until, you know, they have to go from zero to hero. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, and, you know, a lot of times we're dealing with people who are a little bit older, who, you know, aren't that 18 to 23, four year old college athlete who are banged up a little bit more, who are bringing more baggage to the table. Um, you know, so kind of like I said before, is like from a performance standpoint, I'm, a, I'm about as good as I ever was. Not that I was ever all that great. But the, the thing about it is I've been able to maintain that over time. But the way that I've done that has been very different, you know, and just having to be more strategic about, you know, how, how I dose my own training and stuff like that. And I think that's the thing that's similar with these occupations is, you know, we're working with some people who are, you know, mid 30s, early 40s and, you know, some in their 50s. And, you know, we're trying to figure out, OK, how do we you know, help optimize your performance to you know, not only improve job performance, but also your general health, fitness and well-being as well. And, and really a lot of it is, you know, Hey, not only do I want you to perform well on the job, but you know, when you retire, I want you to maximize your pension. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, let's, let's improve your overall quality of life and, you know, hopefully you can enjoy life in retirement. Cause unfortunately, you know, a lot of folks in those occupations don't live too long post-retirement, you know, so that's, those are some of the big things that I think really helped me kind of fall in love with this area. And uh, I mean, some of the things I continually, you know, really enjoy about working with these populations. Definitely, dude. Definitely. And I mean, yeah, it's one of those things that like you say, just staying like that, maintaining the activity level and that performance throughout and just making those adaptations where you can for them, despite any sort of limitations as they age through that process. Um, I was going to say as well, because obviously you got your started when you were at uh, University of Colorado down the tactical sort of stream as well, there doing some research with them. Um, and now at OSU, is it the, I've got to know here, Tactical Fitness and Nutrition Lab you've got there at OSU? Yeah. Was that, was that already in place prior to you coming into your position or do you help set that up and get that running, Jay? No, so we, we actually set that up when I get here officially. Um, so Dr. Jill Joyce, she was over in our uh, Nutrition and Human Sciences program and uh, she was starting to kind of go down the road of working with uh, first responders on the nutrition side. And uh, so actually before I got the position here, we connected the year before after I found out that I was um, gonna be uh, taking the job and we started talking about moving down the road and that, you know, there really was a need for, you know, a laboratory specifically focused on, on, on these individuals. So, yeah, we, uh, we actually kind of started unofficially kicking it off in the spring of 2019. Um, and then when I officially got here in the fall of 2019, we jumped right in and, and got it rolling. Nice, dude. And how's that program developed, you know, since you've gotten the ball rolling for, you know, as it's just grown on legs? Uh, man, you know, so the funny thing about it is, is I, I think that was one of the big things that concern me about leaving Colorado is, you know, when, when we were there, you know, I was having the opportunity to work with our local fire department, Colorado State Patrol, um, doing some stuff with 10th Group to kind of help support some of the initiatives that they had and uh, a whole host of other individuals. And, you know, and, and a lot of those folks, I mean, we, I've gotten very close to them. And, you know, some of those people are still some of my best friends in the world. And, you know, having to leave that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, you know, it's a great situation job-wise. It's a great opportunity, a great university. But, you know, I'm basically starting from scratch mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to kind of sort that out. Um, so, you know, when I got here, there was a bit of anxiety going like, all right, well, I kind of got one shot at this. So if I don't work with our local groups, I don't know who I'm going to be able to work with. And uh, yeah, about, I'd say three weeks after getting here, those concerns got kind of alleviated. Um, so the, the local police department, they were really kind and allowed me to 
you know, come in and talk to them a little bit about some of the stuff I was doing. And uh, they were on board to maybe start moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And a uh, majority of the stuff I've done um, since I've been here has been with them. But in addition to that, um, we just started working with our local fire department uh, as well. So, so we're working with police, working with fire, um, our Army ROTC program uh, in the fall, we're going to have the privilege of getting to help design all their strength conditioning workouts and uh, assist them in that capacity. And uh, man, the, the opportunities have just been, they, they've kept coming. So, I mean, we've been, I mean, long story short, I've been incredibly fortunate. And ironically enough, there's even more opportunities now than, than what I had before. That's cool, dude. And I mean, <clears throat> What's the uh, what's the lab look like now then as a whole like from a staffing standpoint? You know how many of you guys are really departmental? Funny. How many are students in there? Yeah. So as far as the lab goes, uh, this is going to sound really funny, but it's basically the back of my truck. Um, so <laughs> it's <laughs> which when, when somebody asks to see your lab, they're like, "Hey, come to my truck." It's a little bit shady, um, but man, basically we're we're pretty mobile because um, I think that's the thing with first responders and the military. You know, it's easier for one or two of us to go to 100 of them versus the other way around. Um, so from a logistics standpoint, you know, one of the things that we try and do in our research is, you know, minimize our interference as much as possible and, and try to make sure that we stay focused on what they need to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've been fairly successful in, in working with those groups is we don't have a huge negative impact on what they have to get done. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, we do have a lab here that's our human performance lab. So, you know, the, the tactical fitness nutrition lab is, you know, it kind of works out of there. Um, on the third floor of the police department, we've basically created a whole performance space up there where we've got um, a, a squat rack that was donated to us by the Denver Nuggets. Um, I've got uh, some other, um, you know, tools and equipment up there that we, we utilize. So that's another one of our, our labs. Um, with our fire department, we've been traveling around all four stations this week, kind of toting our equipment along with us to do the testing and whatnot there. So. You know, I think, you know, that's, oh, and then over nutrition sciences, we also have a space over there that we can do uh, metabolic research and stuff like that as well. So, you know, I think that's kind of the cool thing about it is it's not necessarily a brick and mortar lab. Um, it's more, I don't want to say it's more of a, it's more of a concept versus the place, but, you know, we really work out a lot of different spaces and we have a lot of different collaborators that, uh, that work with us. Um, we were really fortunate. Um, just uh, a couple months back, we uh, got a uh, grant that allowed us to get a trailer from BeaverFit. Um, so now we will have a mobile lab that we can take with us. That's uh, basically a trailer that opens up and is a complete like workout center, which is it's just too awesome. Um, so we're going to be going to be you know adding that to our uh, repertoire here pretty soon as well. Nice, dude. Nice. And I know, obviously, like. The, the, the tackle space is growing more and more with regards to the research being done to help these guys in these organizations and stuff. And, you know, you've done a great job with leading that charge as well, Jay, with what you've done at uh, University of Colorado and now at OSU as well. I just want to chat a little bit around, you know, how you go about building that, that bridge and that relationship between, you know, academia and organizations themselves, you know, who reaches out to who first and how do you manage that growth and that partnership as well? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a two-way street for sure. Um, you know, we've, we've made an effort to reach out to several people and several people have made that effort to us as well. Um, you know, initially when coming here to, well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So to give you one, for instance, like with the Colorado State Patrol. Um, so I was doing, so when I left the NSCA, I went to Corpus Christi, Texas for three years mm-hmm. and was working down there at Texas A&M University of Corpus Christi. 
and was doing a fair amount with uh, the local police department down there and was working you know, with their instructors to create training programs for uh, their, their volunteer fitness program, but then also for their uh, cadets. And so one of the gentlemen that was down there, I had trained him to get ready to go to FBI Academy. And when he found out that I was moving back to Colorado, um, he made a phone call to some people at the state patrol and goes, hey, you know, Jay's helped us out a ton. We, you know, I, you know, if you're interested, you should reach out to me. And uh, so a good friend of mine up there, Ryan Holmes, he, uh, I guess it, it made it to his desk somehow. And uh, he said, yeah, I sat there for a while. He's like, finally, I realized, like, all right, I better call this guy. Just, you know, so if, you know, somebody asks, I can at least say I called him. And, uh, and Ryan and I just hit it off. Uh, and then that kind of moved on to uh, me meeting uh, Charlie Kornhauser, who was also there working with, uh, with Ryan to, you know, help improve the fitness initiatives and, and stuff like that. And, you know, from there, I mean, it just, we, we all hit it off and the, the, you know, foundation was kind of laid. Um, you know, in other instances, when I came to Stillwater, um, I did the reaching out initially to them. Mm -hmm. So it, it was one of those things where it was, was kind of cool with me going to grad school here 20 years ago. Um, we, there's a great couple that was here in town who uh, kind of adopted us as kind of like their kids almost, my wife and I. And uh, so she had asked me, she said, well, you know, tell me what you're doing with the police and you know, tell me about all that stuff. And I kind of explained to her. And she said, well, you want to work with the local police? And I said, well, I am, but I don't have a contact yet. So I need to kind of reach out. And uh, so she said, oh, well, my next door neighbor is an officer. I'm like, oh, well, that'd be great. And so he and I connected. And uh, it just so happened that he had, um, you know, just gone on light duty because he was in a uh, hands-on incident and broke his hand. And uh, so he actually was in the process of switching over to uh, an instructor at the uh, department and he was going to be in charge of fitness. <laughs> so it was one of those things like just honestly kind of a dumb luck situation uh, where it all worked out. And uh, you know, from there on, you know, we, we met and we hit it off pretty well. And, um, you know, basically when, when I went to them, you know, I just told them, hey, here's kind of what I do. And, you know, what are the needs that you guys have or do you have any needs? And then we're basically trying to be problem solvers for them. So, you know, I think, I think in some ways that's where the type of research um, that, that we've focused on here has really been more like high performance sport, yeah. where it's more like, okay, let's identify what the challenges are and let's discuss how to, you know, implement practical strategies to solve those problems versus, you know, probably more traditional where, you know, hey, I'm a researcher, I have an idea, and I go, you're trying to pitch my research idea. It, it really, for me, works the other way around, where we try and address what their concerns are first. Um, and then after that, you know, certainly, you know, once, once those relationships get established, and as we all kind of start talking and develop and have other ideas, you know, every once in a while, you know, we'll kind of chase some of the curiosities that I have. But, you know, a lot of it really is centered on trying to solve their immediate issues. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So I was going to ask that, Jay, like, how did you how do you typically marry up, you know, your research interests with what the organization wants to achieve from their personnel and that as well? Yeah, and, and honestly, usually it's it's completely driven by them. Mm -hmm. I mean, so usually, so a lot of times what I'll do is go in, ask, you know, kind of what are some of the issues, and then we'll sit down and have conversations about ways we can maybe uh, address the problem. Um, and it's been really funny, like, you know, in different organizations, I've kind of served different roles. Um, so like when I was in Corpus Christi, like I did a little bit of research with them, but mostly, I mean, I was coaching mm -hmm. and, and that was kind of where the main need was there. Um, and I told them, you know, for me, you know, the university probably wouldn't be super excited about me just going and hanging out with officers and working out. So I'm like, well, as long as we can create some kind of research from it, they're, it'll be okay. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically what we did is, you know, we go in, we do the training protocols down there. And then a lot of that was centered around like, okay, is what I'm doing as an instructor, is this our coach? Is this working out? Um, so we, we did a lot that kind of focused on that. Um, you know, in Colorado with, uh, you know, if you got a Ryan Holmes and Charlie Kornhauser, they're fantastic coaches. They didn't need me for that. You know, so in that capacity, I was probably a little bit more on the research side and more like helping with special projects in education. Um, and then, you know, kind of flip that to like Colorado Springs Fire Department where, you know, me and three to four grad students were going out and doing uh, trainings, you know, four days a week for their academy cadets. So it, it really has just kind of been, you know, really based off what the needs of the association are and kind of what they're, they're looking to, uh, you know, what, what gaps they have to fill. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think ultimately, you know, I always joke like the, the ultimate job is kind of coach myself out of a job. So I think that's the big thing is like, you know, whenever we're in those different spaces, we're trying to provide them education and things that will kind of help them prop up and support what they're doing. And then, you know, be a, a reference and a referral for them to come back to whenever they have special needs and things that need to be addressed. That's cool. And with regards to the actual sessions, then. Is it uh, just a snapshot sort of sessions you mentioned there? So you and some grad students going down or are you embedding grad students within departments so they get the experience as well or how, how are you running that with those guys? So uh, it's, it's not necessarily been, been embedded. Um, yeah. Most of the time what it has been is the, so during the, the training times, they'll go down there and they'll execute the training. Then after that, you know, they kind of do their, their own thing. I mean, that's been the one challenge that I've had in the past is with a lot of those students, we haven't had funding to support that. Um, it's all been, you know, pro bono and, you know, they've done it for the experience. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to ask them to go up there and spend, you know, 40 hours a week, you know, in addition to everything else they have to do is not really fair of me. Um, and, and, you know, in a lot of agencies, that's not really 100% what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what we have done is we have gone in and, you know, tried to engage in different activities and observe different things that they're doing. Um, just to make sure that we have a better understanding of what their needs are. Um, so like, for instance, down in, in Texas, I got to go through uh, the alert training with our SWAT team. And uh, I was legitimately terrible, but I, I went through the process yeah. because I needed to understand how they moved and what was required of them and, and understand those things better. Because um, I think that's one thing, you know, I, I've learned just as much. Well, I may have learned more from them and what they've learned from me, to be perfectly honest, uh, because, you know, I think you know, going into that space, like I don't do their job. So, you know, there's a lot of things where I can look at it and go, well, you know, I, this makes sense, or it might be make more sense to do this way. But ultimately, you know, they have their policies and procedures, and they have, you know, good and solid reasons for why they do a lot of things that they do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it's a it's a learning experience as well to go in and try and figure out, okay, you know, based off the requirements and the constraints of your job, like how do we work within those parameters to develop, you know, training programs and, you know, the different research studies that we do that are going to be, um, you, you know, what you need and, and that are going to adjust what the, you know, special uh, constraints that you may have could be. Nice, man. And I mean, with regards to the, the research you guys are conducting, obviously you're saying it's very much led by industry. The guys are saying, you know, we want to look at this. So what, what's been the, the primary, you know, areas of focus these guys have wanted you to come in and really look in depth into? Yeah, man, you know, a lot of it has been focused around injury mitigation. Um, yeah. That's that's a big one, um, especially with uh, cadets in particular. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one, one of the projects that we worked on in Colorado was kind of looking at, um, you know, when, when cadets exit training academy, you know, why are they exiting? And, you know, what we found is that the majority of the time is because they were getting injured. 
Um, so, you know, we, we went back and looked at some of the numbers on that and basically found out that, okay, in general terms, the people that got injured early were less fit than those that were not, uh, which probably isn't entirely shocking. Um, but what we were trying to do is really narrow that down to kind of profile the people that did get hurt and, you know, figure out, all right, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, if I got to pick between you know, X or Y, who's going to be the person that's going to you know, have the most likelihood of completing academy? Because, you know, anytime a cadet there was injured, I think the estimated cost was about $170,000 to, to actually train them. You know, so if you lose, you know, five to six people, it's literally a million dollars that the state was losing on that. Um, so that a lot of it has kind of centered around things of that nature It is trying to look at, you know, one, how do we help you survive training? Um, and then, you know, once you get out of training, that the big challenge is like maintenance of fitness for the occupational lifespan. Um, because in, in reality, the, the challenges with a lot of the different agencies is after they complete training academy, they're not required to maintain fit standard, um, you know, throughout the remainder of their career. And, and some of that is just because like, if you look at the litigation around it, it's, it's like stepping into a bear trap. I mean, there's like, I'll, I'll give you, for instance, there was a situation um, that I was kind of on the periphery involved with um, more as a consultant, but we had five cadets that were unable to do 22 push-ups, which was the minimum requirement for the agency um, that they were yeah. applying to. And uh, so they were not moved into the training class they sued the city for $2 million each um, and the city settled out of court for 700,000 and ended up granting them seniority toward um, their pension once they got out of training academy because they found that, you know, 22 push-ups may be discriminatory. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, the, the whole purpose of a test is to discriminate and it's mm -hmm. discriminatory who can and can't do the job and based off no other factors like, you know, your age or sex or, anything like that. But, you know, the commander asked me, he said, you know, doc, do you think 22 is unreasonable? I'm like, I don't, but I can't show that 22 makes you a good officer. So yeah. that's where it gets really sticky because I mean, you know, the, and the reason that 22 was picked, I don't really, there wasn't really a good rationale for it. Um, I mean, it, it almost feels like, well, 30 push-ups because, you know, Bill over here can do 30 and Bill's a pretty fit guy. It's like, it's not, there, there's nothing really to back that up other than just like, okay, well, here you go. Um, and, and one of the challenges, like, you know, even if I said like, hey, that's the average number of pushups that somebody can do. Well, I mean, just because it's the average doesn't mean that it's acceptable. Yeah. And as soon as you say, you know, hey, this person is average. Well, you're saying, well, it, then if everybody who is average or above is good and everybody below that is bad, then you just cut your people in half. And so this half is good. This half is bad. And, and truthfully, you could be in the 30th percentile and still be able to do your job. You just might not be super fit. So Long story short, like trying to narrow that down to say, okay, what, I mean, <laughs> and without sounding harsh about it, like how unfit can you actually be and still do the job is a really hard number to get to. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, that is shocking to hear. That is really shocking to hear. Just um, 22 press-ups, it's it's not nothing astronomical, but it's amazing it's, that it's some not it's, I mean, it's fairly unremarkable. I'll say that, but I guess, again, it gets back to the challenge. Like, you know what? It, it could be three push-ups or it could be 50. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. Unless you can tie that into a manifest relationship with the actual occupational tasks, you really can't assign that number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the one thing I will say is a lot of the agencies I work with, like they almost, to some degree, almost all of them would like to get rid of the push-up. 
because yeah. there's such this like nefarious connotation around it that you're trying to weed out somebody. Um, but the problem is like it literally pops for just about everything as a predictor of performance. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I don't think there's anything unique or special about the pushup. I just think it's like, okay, more fit people do more pushups and more fit people tend to do better at their jobs. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, until we can find a better predictor, we're, we're kind of stuck with some of those wow. and, and it's easy to administer. So I think, you know, that's the other challenge I've had is like, I've talked to like some world-class sports scientists and, you know, they've talked about some of the different assessments that we run and in, in full disclosure, a lot of them are pretty not sophisticated. And the main reason for that is, you know, a lot of times we got to run 60 to hundred people through a testing session in an hour or less. So, and we got to be really, really dialed in as far as what we're testing, why we're testing it and have a good reason for doing it. Because mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of room for extraneous things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do is trying to reduce the number of tests in our testing battery versus trying to increase them. So, definitely, definitely do. do. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. I know I've seen in the past, like, you know, snapshot of like some of the tests and people will uh, query why that those tests are being done. But, like you say, if you look at the wider factor of just the sheer number of bodies coming through, um, I know, like, you know, within certain tackle spaces, BMI is still used and you can yeah. say all you want about that. But it's like if you're processing 100 people or so within yeah. an hour or two, you don't have time to go through and do your skin full calipers and stuff like because It's just not practical. And that's exactly it. And, and this is the one that, and, you know, it, it's funny how things change over time. If you would ask me a decade ago, I'd be like, okay, BMI is complete rubbish. Don't even mess with it. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know, after seeing all the numbers that we've seen, you know, I will say this, a lot of first responders are going to be overweight, according to BMI. Uh, and a lot of that is because they are carrying more muscle mass. But once you start hitting around that 30 mark where it goes into obesity, the number of people that are obese in that category because they're super fit is less and less. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's like, like you said, a quick like initial snapshot on the screen. If, if I see these as the BMI ranges, then I... For lack of being indelicate about it, you can kind of almost do the eyeball test and go like, "Hey, obviously you're muscular. You're probably good to go." Versus, you know, "Hey, buddy, I, maybe we have some things to work on." Yeah. You know? And and I think that's also you know a case for where you know if you can kind of tease that out and you look at the BMIs that are a little bit higher, you're just like, "All right, we ran BMIs kind of our initial like screen." And you know, if your BMI fell in this range, then okay, we probably want to go ahead and do a full body comp test with you to make sure that that's the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like you said, like, you know, sometimes, you know, there's, you got to go with the better bad option <laughs> because, you know, again, from the, the time, energy and effort that you get and support you have, it's just not going to be, um, necessarily ideal in all cases. Um, man, the other funny thing too, is about BMI that we have tended to see is that BMI, even if somebody is muscular does actually tend to predict injury pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and part of that is just, you know, in general terms, life is harder for bigger people. You know, more weight's harder on the joints. You know, oh, and I mean, over the pandemic, I put on about 13 pounds and, and a fair majority of that was muscle. And so, I mean, I was liking how it looked in a t-shirt, but I did not like how it felt on my knees and my ankles and everything else. So, you know, subsequently I'm like, okay, you can, you can look a certain way or you can not hurt. And at this stage of life, like not hurting was a bigger priority, you know? So, so that's, I think that's the other thing you got to look at too, is like, you know, yes, it is muscle, but there's still a cost of having to carry some of that around. So, you know, where is that sweet spot and, you know, what's, what's ideal for health and performance and, mm -hmm. and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. You're definitely uh, preaching to the choir here, Jay. I'm probably sitting around about 240, 245 and 
Yeah, run isn't isn't in my wheelhouse at the moment, dude. It's not it's not my favorite spot right now. Yeah, man, running at one one ninety nine versus one eighty eight is mm -hmm. a big difference. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like I said, I got really strong, but oh man, it's there's a cost that goes with it. But I mean, I think that's what a lot of it gets down to is like risk reward. Because like when you look at you know what people need and want to do, you just got to weigh it all out. And I think for these populations, you know, anytime you go to an extreme on any one area or one attribute, you got to think about okay, well, what am I sacrificing in the others? Um, and I think that's that's kind of the cool thing about people in the first responder space, I mean, they're kind of like your decathletes, mm -hmm. like they got to be pretty good at everything all the time. And, you know, they don't necessarily have to be exceptional at any one thing, but, you know, they need to be strong. They need to be able to endure. They need to have good capacity. So it's, it's really trying to blend all those different factors in to make sure that they can still do their job well. And, and I think, you know, the other aspect of that too, is like, you know, what makes them happy, you know, cause I mean, they are human beings. And, you know, if you, you know, if you're going to classify their sport or their job, um, as being more of like a decathlete, well, you also got to remember there's those folks that, hey, I really want to run a marathon or I want to compete in a powerlifting competition just because, I mean, it's something from a mental health perspective that is a de-stressor for them and they like doing that. So now you got to take into consideration like, okay, I need you to be pretty good at all the things you need to do for your job. And I'm training you for this very unique and specialized, you know, area as well to where we are trying to optimize performance. And it's, I'll say this, it's a really fun balance. It's fun to try and, you know, help people, um, you know, get the best of both worlds when you can, so. Nice, nice, dude. Now, next one for you, Jay, I was going to ask is, obviously, you've been involved in the research field for a number of years. You've done a lot of stuff within law enforcement. Might be a challenging question just regards to the amount of work you've put in and on your research side of things, but of all the studies you've done so far, you know, what, what do you feel has been your most profound piece of work you know like some of the days come back and you've just been like holy crap okay I didn't expect that or you know it's made a bit but quite an impact yeah. in the department yeah no there, there's actually been a lot that we didn't expect um so actually to, not necessarily that this was the most profound one but uh, the one that we did not expect is uh we had um so some uh, we had an agency where they had like a red man training and they were going through that process. So basically Redman, it, it was basically kind of a fight gone bad scenario where it was like a riot situation and they had to try and fight their way out of it. Um, so basically it was one person on a, a lot of other people. And so, you know, we were wanting to look at the heart rate numbers when they were doing that to see, you know, hey, do more fit people uh, tend to maintain, you know, their heart rate and, uh, you know, composure better than, you know, those that, you know, were less fit. And so we thought, okay, you know, the people who are more fit will have lower heart rates and the people that are less fit, you know, they're going to be gassed out because they don't have the capacity to do it. And when we actually looked at the numbers, it was completely the opposite of that. Um, so we actually saw that the people who were more fit had higher heart rates and, you know, greater RPEs. And I mean, everything else was higher than the people who were less fit. And, you know, so from a common sense perspective, I, it didn't, you know, the, the first hypothesis kind of made sense. But then when you actually watched it, you're like, oh, the people who are less fit are giving up. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's not metabolically demanding to do this and like take a punch. You just got to be able to take a punch. Yeah. So that's what we started noticing. Like, oh, that was completely the opposite response of what we thought we were going to see. But it actually kind of helped prove what we were wanting to show is like, okay, the people who are more fit probably have a better chance in this scenario because they're not going to stop. Like they're not going to give up. They're going to keep fighting and they're going to have the capacity to do it. 
So it was one of those things that was kind of an unintended consequence where, you know, we went in with the hypothesis and we were completely off the mark. Um, but once you started like, you know, again, eyeball tested and watching the, re the what was going on, I'm like, oh, well, that actually tracks. Um, man, I think, you know, probably, and, and I don't know the full impact of this one, because that's, that's kind of what's funny is like with a lot of the research that we do, uh, you know, me and the, my other colleagues, like a lot of times in the organizations, we don't fully know how it's going to be implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if we're intimately involved with that organization, we, we have an idea, but there's others that we don't. Um, so there's a couple things that I've done um, for the military that were, were really cool um, that I found out that one group apparently had used some of the different um, testing and assessment things that we had put together from, from a profiling perspective to figure out who was going to go on operations and, you know, who would be more successful. And so I kind of turned that over and, you know, once I gave it away, it was theirs to do what they needed to do with, but um, actually was at a conference years later and found out that I guess they had actually used that and they said, hey, you know, we had more success with, you know, using that profile than we had previously as far as, um, you know, success in the, the mission and then also like from a casualty perspective. I'm like, that's really awesome. I had no idea. Um, and then another one, I mean, honestly, the, the, if you look at what the actual study was, it was pretty unremarkable as far as the things that we had to look at. But um, there's another study that basically was looking at uh, the impact of a uh, specific program for military soldiers mm -hmm. and uh, you know how they performed on a, on a stress shoot scenario and so basically you know because we were kind of limited on the data that we were able to take in basically what we found is like okay people that participated in this program did significantly better on this measure of occupational performance than people that didn't um, now the hard thing is that a lot of that was based off self-report data and I mean there, there's you know even as a researcher I could look at it you know even as the guy that did I'm like oh there's some holes here but you know there was enough compelling evidence there to where you know I, I was told that that actually was used as a defense to help people maintain and, and keep their jobs um, within that space so you know I, those are the things to me that are you know probably has some of the bigger impacts that I know about because you know it's, it's trying to help give these folks the support that they need and try to, you know, make sure that that support's available for them in the long run. Because, I mean, I think that's, that's the challenge with research is, you know, every, you know, every single study can be profound to somebody if it's the question that they're looking for, yeah. um, or it may be complete rubbish if it doesn't apply to them. So, you know, how people choose to apply it really to me is kind of how I value is, you know, it, it's the impact it has on the people and not the impact factor of journals and stuff like that. Um, but I think, you know, it, in practical terms, it's, you know, how do we help support the folks that need it? And, you know, how does that impact real lives? And, uh, you know, probably, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those researchers that's like a bench scientist. Yeah. Like most of the research that I have is not really written for people that are in an academic setting. It's, it's meant for the boots on the ground people. So they can pick up the paper and go like, okay, I can use this right now. Um, so, you know, for, for us and, you know, for a lot of the folks that I work with, I mean, that's really kind of how we measure, you know, the success or the impact of a study is like, you know, how does this impact, you know, human lives? Oh, that's awesome, dude. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think like coming from the sports background as well, you know, the research, it's always been my focus about, right, how does this impact the practitioner as such and not just the academic who just wants to sit around and have a chat about concept, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's interesting thing about the the red man's scenario as well there as well just looking into it like, okay crap the guys who are less fit you know are got lower um rp scores and heart rates but then like you say if you delve in deeper they are just giving up and it's that that impact of being just physiologically just bare output you know you can fight for longer and get your way out of that scenario yeah. 
Well, that, and, and you know, kind of even with that too, like we, we did do blood lactates as well, which was pretty interesting. And that's what we saw, like hands down, their blood lactate levels were way higher too, which shows like, okay, you, you kept pushing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was the big thing is it, it kind of made the case for us. I'm like, all right, well, it's plausible that this may have to happen. So, you know, I reckon in training, you probably ought to touch on this occasionally uh, as far as like intensities and, and things of that nature to make sure that, you know, you are you know ready for if something goes bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome, dude. And obviously you've got your, your research lab there as well at OSU. So where, where's your research going next, Jay? You know, what's, what's the next big projects on the horizon for you? If you can talk oh, about that. Yeah, so we got all kinds of stuff going on. You know, I think one of the big things, well, two of the big things I'm really excited about is with our local police and fire department. Um, you know, they, they've had some fitness things in place for a while and some people that have, um, you know, been, been trying to kind of prop up a, a more comprehensive wellness program. And I think both of those agencies now um, are in a position where they're getting a lot of support to do that. And they've asked us to assist with that process. Um, so it's it's really cool to get involved with that and, and try and help. And the funny thing about it is, is I was talking to, so Dr. Joyce, the lady I mentioned before, that's in our, the other half of our lab. She was telling me today, she's like, you know, you're like a really big public health guy. I'm like, what? Like, I'm a performance guy. Like, I'm not public health. And she goes, dude, you're the biggest public health person I know. And she started like listing all this stuff off I was talking about. She's like, uh, yeah, dude, that's what that is. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I think, I think for me, it's kind of weird. Like, because I remember early in my career, like, you know, when you have like your, your total wellness classes where, you know, they talk about the dimensions of wellness. And I'm like, ah, it's great, but I'm a performance guy. And, and now, like, the further along I've gotten and, you know, the more that our profession has evolved, we're starting to see it's like, oh, yeah, like, things like sleep actually do matter. And, oh, yeah, you really should take care of yourself in all these different areas of your life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny just, you know, over the last 20-some years to see how things have kind of changed and evolved in the profession. And then just for me personally, where you go like, yeah, this actually is, you know, a bigger, a bigger you know, factor than what we originally thought it was. And um, you know, and I think a lot of that's just maturing as, you know, not only, uh, you know, a professional, but just as a human being as well. So, but yeah, no, I mean, a lot, a lot of what we're going to do is going to be centered on that. Um, you know, we, we're, we got some really cool projects going with our ROTC program in the fall, trying to find ways to help, um, you know, improve participation rates in the program. Um, in addition to, you know, getting them prepared for the, the ACFT and, uh, you know, trying to make sure that they're going to be uh, proficient, able to score, um, what they need to on that as well. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and then honestly, we got a whole host of other stuff that we're, we're working on as well. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate. I got some amazing collaborators from all over the world. You know, I know Dr. Orr has been on the, the show before and, yeah. uh, you know, good friend Bob Lockie and, you know, John Hoffman, I think has been on and, you know, Tyler Christensen and all these guys. And, you know, th- these are all people that, you know, I, I get to talk to on a regular basis. And, you know, we all, you know, periodically have different projects going on, but uh, it's just so cool because, I mean, at any given time, I know I could reach out to any one of these people and they'd be more than happy to help out any way they could. So I think that's been the really cool thing is like, you know, with all these different projects going on and, um, you know, all the different uh, people that, you know, have, uh, you know, been involved with everything over the years. It's just, it, it's absolutely been the the greatest experience of my life getting to go down this space. Definitely. That sounds exciting, dude. And like you say, it's, a, it's an awesome network, like some of the names you, you mentioned off there, are just incredible guys doing incredible things and the ability just to have those conversations with those is just invaluable as well. Oh, yeah. Like I said, and I've learned so much from them and you know, hopefully they, I've helped them in some way, but I can tell you definitely it's, it's benefited me. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome, Jay. Now, like everyone who comes on the show, Jay, I'm always interested to know what they're doing for their own development. So on that, mate, could you just give us a, a book, an app or a website, you know, you personally find useful for your own education or your own development? Yeah, um, a book, an app or a website. So, you know, as far as, um, you know, looking at different books and things like that, like, honestly, I go to a lot of business stuff. Yeah. Um, still, um, you know, a lot of things that are kind of in that leadership space as well. Um, you know, I know one that's been, and this isn't one I'm currently looking at, um, but, you know, there, there was one a book called, uh, you know, What is Your Why, basically? Um, and, 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 you know, essentially kind of narrowing things down to, you know, what are the things that are most important? Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of an oldie, but a goodie, but uh, good to great uh-huh. is another really good one. Um, I mean, it's, gosh, moving on probably 15, 20 years old now. Uh, but it's it's a really good one just as far as, you know, really helping narrow things down as far as what really is most important to you. Um, because I think that's something that, you know, I, there, there's all kinds of things that we can do and lots of different opportunities are out there, but really trying to be strategic and take advantage of the ones that are going to be um, the biggest impact, you know, are, are sometimes what you gotta, you gotta be good at learning how to say no to different things that are distractors and that's not my gift by any means mm-hmm. um and then another one that um that actually it, it, I, I re-listened to it the other day on and, and I, I cheat a lot so I get audiobooks from the library so whenever I'm traveling back and forth I can you know maximize that time um but uh getting things done is another really good one and like I said all these are kind of old but uh but they have a lot of really good things that you can pick out and I think you know people that are in these spaces um, whether it be research or, you know, strength conditioning, you know, as a practitioner, there's, there's a lot of really good little nuggets in there that can help streamline your, your processes. And I mean, I'm, I'm continuously trying to find ways to streamline efficiencies and make things more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, anything like that, I really do tend to enjoy. Awesome. Awesome. Dude. I'll make sure I pop those in our show notes as well. Yeah. Jay, it's been awesome again to chat to you, mate, as you know, uh, chatting off air and then chatting here, dropping some great knowledge bombs. You know, for anyone who's listening who wants to either reach out, pick your brain a little bit more, or you know, set up some sort of collaboration, what's the best way they can do that, mate? Yeah, probably best way is just uh, via email. So uh, it's going to be j a y dot dawes d a w e s at okstate.edu. So j dot dawes at okstate.edu. Yeah. Um, or, you know, then with, you know, social media, like we've got, you know, several different uh, uh, social media platforms that we use for our lab. So we've got, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. I can't tell you the exact handles because I'm dreadful at social media. Um, but <laughs> don't worry, man. I'll look them up. I'll get them in for show notes. Yeah, don't worry. But basically, it's the, ta- the OSU Tactical Fitness Nutrition Lab. If you uh, put that in your search, they pop. So. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'll make sure I stick those in our show notes as well, mate, along with your uh, your book recommendations. Jay, awesome. once again, mate, thank you very much. I know you're a super busy guy, so thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Just sit down and chat with me. Oh, it's a pleasure, John. Thanks so much. No, thank you very much, Jay. Okay, take care. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarchy and Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor? First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. 
This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.